This is the good, the Baz, and the ugly. I'm the Baz. Well, that no, I'm Baz. That sounds weird if I go around calling myself the Baz. Anyway, uh, look, this podcast is filled with uncensored interviews with experts in particular fields or real-life stories from people who have inspiring personal tales to tell. It covers various topics and life stories that I've really dug, you know what I mean? And I think you'll dig them too. Just so you know, this podcast is for grown-ups, or at least people over 18, as it may contain adult themes, sexual references, and strong language. Fuck yeah! You didn't need to curse. No, I just wanted to. Sheet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. Hold it now, wait, hold it. I know you're gonna dig this. I think the best thing for me to do is to introduce him. What the... What's his name? Baz Ashwami. It's not Baz Ashwami, it's Baz Ashmawi. Alan O'Sallin, welcome. Uh, welcome. Welcome to the, the, what are you, the, already you're starting your shit. What are you waving at? No, I'm not waving, I'm listening to you. You're Why were you waving your arm around? Sorry, I'm just... Some just technical issues. Mahi's already. That's not the way I wanted to start the podcast. Hey, welcome to episode 27 of... 27? 27's a great age. My favourite age, between 27 and 32. Just thought I'd throw that out there. I don't know why, I just think it's a very, very good age. You're still, you're still kind of you know a bit immature but you're coming into a different space in your life they say you change every seven years do you know that wow what age are you <laughs> oh this end. is i'm at the end of your favorite age yeah well sorry commiserations <laughs> commiserations you need help we all need help. Yeah, I need help we all need help um i need i'm missing john john again john john's uh i'm taking a taking a day but uh but um, there was something I did a while back and I found it very beneficial and it was like uh, I won't get into the details of it because it involves other people other than myself and I divulge everything about myself while my family are like what are you talking about every little thing about our lives for so uh, I, some things I have to kind of keep private but I did a group therapy session and I thought it was brilliant and then I came across an amazing book called it was by Christy Tate the best who's the best-selling author of uh, group how one therapist and a circle of strangers saved my life and i just just i was just obsessed with getting her on the podcast and for anyone who hasn't read the book it's a kind of it's a memoir of a very guarded overachieving uh what would you say self-lacerating young lawyer who reluctantly agrees to get um psychologically and emotionally naked in a room full of six complete strangers her her psychotherapy group and in turn finds this new human connection and she finds out a lot about herself like i say it is it's a really really good read um there was a line in it that always stands out to me um what i heard that her uh, her uh, psychiatrist said to her you don't need a cure you need a witness and that's something in life that that I, I that I found is very helpful. Sometimes you just need someone there. And um, well, I witnessed her, and we had we had such a nice chat. She's awesome, and so was the chat. This is that chat. So I might just jump into it with you, Christy. Is that all right? Sure, let's go. So tell me, tell me. I suppose first, place place yourself for me. Tell me about where where. Where are you and where are you from? I am in Chicago right now, and I've been here for almost two decades. But I grew up in Texas, which is very different, very conservative. 
And so I've lived in two different regions of the country, and they're both mixed up inside of me. Right, because Chicago, Chicago is like a, a nicer New York, isn't it? That's kind of like Chicago is a great town. Exactly. Texas is, well, Texas is Texas girl, isn't it? So tell me what how the, the personality of Texas comes across in the people. Sure. What I see in, in Texas is kind of what you would imagine. There's this bellicosity, like, like a bravado, don't tell me what to do. We're Texas. We're going to secede if you piss us off. Um, I think that's the legacy of the sort of outlaw mentality still permeates today and Texans really really don't want to be told what to do and Texans think of Texas as the center of the universe it is (laughs) it is the absolute heart of the planet so there's a lot of macho yeah it is a very unique place even in America like it's funny because because you talk about there's a lot of conversations happening at the moment and it's all about um you know being open and being able to speak a certain way and to be transparent but that's very easy to say the reality is Irish people aren't a million miles away from that as well so I suppose how did the upbringing influence you or your emotions like what type of uh was it hard to open up being from from somewhere like that like somewhere like texas yes i see two different things that were really operating on me and one of them was my experience in texas was gender roles are really really well entrenched and well defined so the idea that a girl a little girl would be angry or let out some rage was just anathema. Little girls smile, they look pretty, and they're skinny. And that felt like what was happening all around me. So there's infinite messages to just repress emotion and just smile, be pretty, be happy. So that's one thing. Additionally, the community that I was in, my family and all my schooling, and all of my friends, they were all Catholic. And there's a certain amount of repression of sexuality and women inherent in Catholicism. I don't think it goes great for men necessarily either, but for sure the messages we got, I was just thinking the other day, my freshman year in high school, I was in an all girls Catholic school, my little plaid skirt, and we had to take theology classes. And the very first class, I feel like the first day of freshman year, the teacher said to us, well, you know, French kissing is the sin because it mirrors the sex act. And I was such a good girl, so anxious and um, willing to, uh, to like win over authority figures. I'm like writing that down in my notes without even thinking, is that true? (laughs) Does it mirror the sex act? Like, what are you talking about? I didn't have any of that critical thinking inside of me. I just had a march, march along and try to win everybody's favor. And all of that added up to a lot of mental health problems. Yeah, I can. I like. like, like there's a, a listen. We've a load of Irish listeners, obviously, on this show, so they've just been nodding through everything you've just said. So, um, so draw me then. I suppose draw me a picture of where you were at in your life and what was going through your head and how did you, how did you lead up to the process of ending up wanting to go for group therapy? How did that come about? Yeah, I definitely did not anticipate going to group therapy I had an eating I developed an eating disorder which is I understand it now it's super common but because it was a secret I didn't know that anybody else was suffering the what way type of I eating was. disorder did you did you opt for <laughs> to 
Yeah, I was I was a binger like in my younger years, and to, and then when I was 13 years old, I discovered purging, so I became bulimic when I was 13 years old, and it was an oppressive secret, of course. That's so common. Can I ask you something just quickly? Because I know how common it is, right? But but people, like I just did there, kind of tr make throwaway comments about it, that it's that. It's such an awful thing. Did anyone else know that you were bulimic, or was it completely something that you kept to yourself? You know, in my mind, I was like, oh, it was totally a secret. Actually, there were moments where I was very sloppy. I mean, you have to be good at it because it's it's messy. It's, <laughs> you know, a, it's, it's a, messy a form of disease, right? It's a form of like you've got to hide it all the time. You're 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 going to the bathroom. You're hiding it. It's it's like um yeah, it's it's a form of deceit. So with that comes lies and and having to be calculated oh, totally. and which totally compounds the terrible feelings I had about myself. But I remember one time I got caught a baby. I went to babysit for a family and the dad called my dad. and was like, something happened in our bathroom. And I just denied it. I think though, it, I have to wonder if part of me wanted to be caught, if I wanted to get caught because I don't, I, I don't remember what, what happened in the bathroom specifically, but I think I was old enough to know I needed to be very careful, especially in someone else's house. Yeah. And there was another time, you know, in Catholic school, they would always send us on these retreats and we would cry and they would tell us about God's love. And I remember one time standing up, you know, tear filled, probably 15 or 16 saying, sometimes I throw up my food and nobody did anything like no, nobody, no, none of the teachers or the, and nobody did anything. So wow. I sort of had this feeling of like, am I supposed to do that? So there wasn't a much awareness or conversation or skills. No one around me had any skills to deal with what was happening. To God, because as well, like I think what a lot of people don't realize with, with an eating disorder, especially if you're purging or making yourself sick, um, that there's a mental side effect to it, right? It's, 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 it's not like people just think, oh, you know, it's really unhealthy for your body. And, you know, yeah, it's going to put your mind in a bad space, but it actually has um, a, a, a chemical reaction with your brain. It, it's, it, it actually brings on depression and mood swings and, and, and lots of other things. Oh, so my God. It's a serious yes. thing, isn't it? Well, tell me, what, what, what were you struggling with the most? And how, how did group therapy come about? So I had gotten into recovery and I got into a 12-step recovery program for the bulimia when I was 19. And that did a great job of arresting the worst symptoms. Like I was no longer purging and that felt like a miracle. And actually it was a miracle. It was a total miracle. I would go to these meetings, I would say what I was doing with food and I got better. But then I sort of hit a ceiling and I got older and I'm like going to school and I'm realizing my relationships are kind of disastrous, especially my romantic ones. I kept dating more and more serious drug addicts and alcoholics. And I'm as about as straight edge as you can be. And I'm a hardworking, striving young woman. And I just kept picking men. <clears throat> well, I wonder me. why that is. I wonder why you navigate toward when you're like that, if you're very straight laced, why you're navigating towards obviously the bad boy is, is one way of putting it. But yeah. but, but towards people who are abusing drugs or alcohol, I wonder why, what the psychology behind that is. I have thought of that. Like my armchair theory about myself is, I was repressed, I was super repressed, you know, always following the rules and trying to be the valedictorian of every situation. And so I think that bad boy was just like a way to vicariously rebel 
And I also think I had really low self-esteem and I didn't think like a nice solvent hygienic man would do anything with me. Sure, who wants one of them anyway? Do you know what I mean? Isn't that the thing? Like, I I, I can understand it, but you you, you kind of brushed over because you're incredibly modest. You, you academically, you were you're you're killing us, right? You were doing very very well. You're a very very clever woman. <laughs> uh, yes, thank you. It's funny, like what I by the time I got to law school, so I'm just go. I just kept going to school because I wasn't sure what to do with myself, and I knew how to be a student. And I ended up in law school, which was going to inevitably lead to a career. I mean, that's the whole point of law school. That's why I picked it. Because the, when I picked law school, I had just gotten out of another disastrous relationship with an alcoholic. And I thought, well, I'm going to die alone. That's a foregone conclusion. I might as well find a career where I'll have lots of money and some social power. And it'll be like not as noticeable that I, I go home alone and I will die alone. I was really into this narrative that I was going to die alone. But I thought, well, if I'm a lawyer... I'll be somewhat of a baller and I'll have great purses and I'll have a nice house. So it was like a consolation prize because I didn't think I could have rich relationships and a marriage or a family that was so far away from me that I just wanted to pick a career also that would like absorb all my time. Like lawyers work all the time. And so you could just look up and be 60 and it's like, okay, well, you were busy working for you. So I was starting to, I found out I was first in my law school class, which certainly on paper is extremely exciting. It's a wonderful, a grand achievement, but I knew that it was a consolation prize. I knew I was hiding. I was way overstudying because I was scared of people and I didn't have any people in my life. So what was I going to do? Just keep studying. And that's how you get to be first in your class. It was really I was certainly proud of it, but I knew there was a dark side to it. And I was starting to like cry everywhere I went because I was so lonely. I didn't even know I was lonely. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I'm like crying places. And people start recommending me their therapist. And every time I batted it away, first of all, therapy is super expensive. And I, you know, in America, we have to pay our way. So I didn't have a job yet. I was a student, so I can't pay for therapy. My parents aren't into therapy. Can't ask them. And I didn't really know, like, can you just go to therapy because you're sad you're going to die alone? I thought I needed like a bigger problem. Like I wasn't going to commit suicide, maybe. But when I started to feel like, well, maybe I should. Somebody finally recommended me her therapist. I was listening a little closely. She she seemed like she'd gotten happier. You know, you see people who have like lost weight or gotten sober or got a boyfriend and they look different. And I was like, what's different about you? She said, I love my therapist. I was like, oh, this again. Um, And she said, he does group and it's really cheap. And I was like, oh, that was the first time anyone said cheap. And because group is only third of the cost. It's only a third of the cost. What what age were you then? What age were you then, Christy? I was 27. Sad in a way, though, isn't it? Because I just, as you were talking there, I I was thinking how sad it is for a 27 year old to think, oh, do I even need therapy if I'm obsessing about dying alone? Like this exact reason you yeah. would go to therapy, but the fact that you were kind of thinking, oh, well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of had become a normality to you to, for your thought yeah. process to be, that's quite sad. And especially that you were having, you were doing so well, but you couldn't, you couldn't take gratitude from it. You know, your perspective was way off center, wasn't it? Oh my God, that's so well put. My perspective was so off center. 
And, but, you know, now that I've been talking about the book or whatever, and people will say at 27, there was plenty of time to find great friendships and a wonderful partner. But I, you couldn't have told me that. I was like, I'm basically dead. I'm basically already dead at age 27. I'm set to go to one of the best law firms in the whole country. And I'm low key, like, hmm, should I, should I do my laundry and pick up the dry cleaning or should I maybe kill myself? Like that was just how I- Were you actually, were my- you actually thinking kind of suicidal thoughts? Would you have moments of thinking? I did. There was, that's what actually, it was like the confluence of events. I heard myself, it was right after I found out I was first in my class. And it was a long holiday weekend here in Chicago. And those are the worst. If you're single, having an extra day of the weekend is horrible. Like, what am I supposed to do? How do I fill that time? And of course, I'm imagining everyone else is at a barbecue and big parties and on a boat and at their summer home. And I'm like in my stuffy apartment, like, when can I go to work? Like, when can I have something to do and not just sit here and be lonely? And So that happened and I started to have, I found myself like, it wasn't suicidal. It was like suicidal adjacent. Like I was fantasizing about dying. I was like, should I drive really slow through a really bad neighborhood? And I was wishing, well, if someone just shoots me in the head, this is all over. And I don't have to, I don't have to do the whole dying alone thing. I'll just die. And that scared me. That scared me. Like, what am I talking about? There, I was aware there were people who would kill for my life, who would love to be poised for this great job and have my health and my body was a normal size. And there was nothing really wrong except what was in my head. And that was confusing enough that I thought, I better go talk to someone because this is not, I can't fix this. I'm smart. I can pass a law school exam. I can get a job. I can charm the receptionist. I cannot fix this. And I knew it in my bones. And that made me willing to go to this therapist of my friends who did group. And I was only going to stay. Wait, wait, I have so like many a, questions. I just want to ask you. Yeah. Firstly, it, it's, it's, it's normal, not normal, but I think at some stage in your life, even though people won't admit it because it's, it's like seen as a sign of weakness or something, but we've all felt that overwhelming feeling of this life is, life is a slog. Do you get me? Like I've got this, I'm, I'm quite ready to check out now. I think the best, you know, like if, if people have those moments, but I suppose when you frighten yourself with those thoughts that's the, that's the time to maybe go talk to someone were you when you had a choice of like group therapy i i would be uh i'd be uh, anxious of group therapy because i'd be thinking there are a lot of people in a room i don't know and 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 you know was it purely down to a money thing were you thinking i'm going to save a few quid here or i'm just going to spectate and keep an eye or what was your attitude going into group therapy i would say there were three things that convinced me the first one was definitely the price. That was probably the biggest one because I didn't know how I was going to find money for an individual situation. Price was one. The second one was when I went to first talk to this doctor who had helped my friend. My friend had a new light in her eye and I wanted that. I wanted that for myself. So I go to talk to this doctor of hers and he was so strange and so confident and such a weirdo. I didn't feel unsafe. I felt so curious. Like, what would he do? What's he going to do with me? 
what in the world? And he acted like my problems were the most solvable things in the world. Oh, you're lonely. All right. So we'll get you married. We'll get you lots of friends. What else do you want? And I was like, that's it, dude. You do that. You can have all my money. And so his, he like intrigued me and he seemed very smart. He also seemed like someone before whom I would want to perform. Like I always want to perform for authority figures, certainly men. I'm probably doing it right now with you. <laughs> like I just want to like, I want to win you over. And that's not, I didn't know if that was going to be compatible with really getting well. And I had some internal sense that going into a group where there were other people there, I was going to be able to learn more about myself. And he was going to, this doctor was going to observe me talking and interacting with other people. And it would be somehow both way scarier, for sure scary, but also in some sense safer because there would be all these other people there. And I think I was just, maybe I was also primed for group because I had done 12 step group things and being one-on-one -on -one was probably, probably felt scary to me. And group comes a lot of scare too, you know? Yeah, the, the single therapy, I suppose there's something hard about that as well, right? There's something easier about um, a, a group therapy where you're kind of sharing with other people. There's there's power in being part of a group, but but um, uh, Dr. Rosen, that's the alias, right, of, of your doctor in the book. Okay, gotcha, okay. Yeah. Tell me about your therapy arc, you know, as in finding your, say, your inner voice and, and, and letting that voice talk. Was that, was that a difficult thing for you to do? Absolutely. The very first question that somebody asked me in group, I go into this room with strangers and Dr. Rosen, who I've only seen a couple of times as he prepped me for group, and I'm sitting there, the very first question this guy asked me was, do I like to be on top or bottom during sex? That's my first second of group therapy. What fucking group and therapy were you going into, Chrissy? Like, was, was this just people with general problems or was it specifically to do with loneliness or? or yeah, that's a good question. The, the the way it was described to me was everyone in this group was a professional so doctors and lawyers so everybody who had to be licensed to have a job doc, it turned out it was doctors and lawyers and ev and that was the only thing that i knew about it and when i got there it turned out everybody was working on intimacy relationships and becoming an integrated person at work and at home which sounds so boring, but I did. So I didn't expect. Does it sounds fascinating? Life. But so so, how many people were in a group in a, in a in a session? Usually, I know it probably varied, but generally, there's there were five or six group mates plus Dr. Rosen, and the room is very tight. Like there's not a lot of space, so it's like it feels like being in like a fishbowl. And when I so with the very with that very first question, I felt myself instantly snap into a persona. Oh, I'm a fun-loving girl. I like sex. You're a stranger. It was a man who asked me that, by the way. My group was co-ed. So I instantly snapped into this like false self where I was like tap dancing for these strangers. So they would like me and think I was fun. And and instantly Dr. Rosen was like, bullshit. Stop. What are you doing? And the truth is, I didn't want to answer that question. I didn't, what are you asking? Like, why don't you start, you don't know my name. Why don't you ask me my name or why I'm in therapy? And, but I didn't have those skills at all. So if I was going to chart my arc, 
my first moment there is like performance and, and try to be likable and get approval. And I still carry that some of that with me. I, listen, I, 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 think, I think everyone does, right? Because therapy only works when you're 100% honest. That's the only time right. you can penetrate anything, right? So, so if you go into yeah. a room and, and we do it all the time, we play little personas of ourselves so people will like us or think we're funny or you know charming or whatever it is. Yeah. But if you're 100%, that's a tough thing to do. It, it was tough. It t- I mean, the other thing that I thought when I think about the art, I thought because of the representations of therapy in popular culture and in literature, whatever, it seems like you get into therapy you learn what's wrong with you. You learn to set boundaries and use your voice and you get well. And it's just the straight line up to the sky's the limit. My experience in therapy was I'd make a few steps forward and then I would slide way back. And then I'd go three steps forward. And it was a very jagged line. It was more like an EKG um, than it was like a slope upward. And I had to learn so many things about I thought that showing great emotion was a sign that you were crazy or bad. I mean, that was my training in Texas and Catholic school. And when you go to therapy, all of a sudden, when you finally start to cry, when I would finally cry or scream, the whole group would like give me a standing ovation. Like, finally, finally, Christy, you're letting us see what's actually in there. And to me, that stuff is so ugly. My rage, my despair, To give that voice feels like it would repel people. And what I learned was the opposite was true. And it took me years to learn that, years. Were you surprised when you were in group? Because I've been a travel show host for years, right? So I've traveled a lot of the world. And what always got me was how similar people who are so different are, right? So you can go into a tribe in Africa or you can, you know, be up in northern Ethiopia or wherever it is, and you can meet people and just people have awful similarities. You know, when you were in group, obviously these people are all different to you, but at the same time, did you notice uh, similarities between the situation you were in and what they were in? Yes, I could not believe it. And it is the number one most glorious thing about a group. For me to open my mouth and say, share like a secret, something I don't want to tell about what I do with food or how I feel about my body or how much money I spend on stupid things. Like all these little shame pockets I have, I would be shocked. I would say them and let's, I'm a white woman in Chicago. I have a white collar job and I, you know, I have a lot of education. I would be shocked when across the circle, there's a Jewish investment banker or someone who's even more different than me, a young Muslim doctor who's came to America at age 10 and has never stepped foot in a Catholic church. And he would have something exactly analogous. And we would have this synergy of connection and healing that I would have never anticipated. And if I met him on the street, we would not have had a conversation about our shame stashes. It was, it's astounding every single time it happens and it happens almost every time I go to group. Wow. What did those people give you? What did they offer you on a personal level? Did you walk away with anything that like, do you become friends or is it, is it quite professional? Do you keep it to group and then you leave and? You know, the, the norm, I learned this from touring with my book. The norm in group therapy is that groups, you just, 
you just can't have contact in group and you don't have any contact outside of group. And in some groups, the therapists make you sign a contract. I will not have contact outside of group and I will not talk to anything about what happens in this group. Dr. Rosen does not do any of that. He encourages us to get together outside of group, to call each other, to use the network that he's providing to get us through from session to session. I mean, we only have, I go twice a week for 90 minutes a pop. So that's 180 minutes a week. There's a lot more hours in the week when I might need support and help. So I call up a group mate and I say, this has just happened at work. This is what my boss said. My daughter has this problem. Can you help me? And so we take these skills outside of the group room and what they've given me inside group, what they give me is comfort and also a mirror, right? Like some of them, when someone has had my problem or struggling as I am, I feel so much less alone, which is worth all the money in the world. But also there's people in group who are ahead of me. They're two, three years beyond my situation and they show me what's possible. In my own imagination, I think I'm, I still think I'm probably just going to die, you know, but they show me like, oh, once your children leave, you get to do this. Or once you do this in your career, here's another thing you can consider. It expands my imagination and having, having friendships outside of group. My kids know these people, my group mates as family members, like they're, we have a very unique bond that's somewhere between friend and family. There's not quite language for it. Do you know what's very funny? There's across the road, I was I was making a documentary and it got cancelled because of COVID and everything. But they have a thing called a death cafe. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but but it's a group therapy where people bring cake and they have tea. But it's all to do with mourning. Or, uh, like So it might be someone, one person is terminally ill there, another person um, has just lost someone. Um, and uh, I had a researcher go over there and, and uh, tell me about the group. She joined it. But she was saying there was one person there who, who, a German guy, who was just nothing. Like, no one had died. He wasn't terminally ill. He, and, and people were like, why are you here? And he's just like, I just, it's just amazing just to be here. And, you know, I have loads of questions and I can ask you. And I was just like, there must be some, there must be an amazing power in a room full of honesty. I think that's what it is. There must be amazing yeah. skills or um, honest um, truths that you see. Is there skills that you've learned that you use? Yes, I really, really, I'm so grateful. I don't know how people parent. That, that's where I see it the most and most acutely now. With my kids, for example, my kids are young, they're 10 and 12, and they have big emotions. Maybe every kid does, I don't know. They're my children, so I only I know them up close and personal. But when they have these really big emotions, I'll have a moment where I'll think, well, this is really inconvenient. We're trying to get in the car here, you know, or like there's something, there is a voice inside of me that wants to say, suck it up. Let's not do this now. But that's what I was told all my life. And I became bulimic and shut down and repressed. So I absolutely want to support their big feelings, no matter how inconvenient they are or loud or embarrassing. Like sometimes they happen in public and I'm like, ah, don't embarrass me. But I know for myself, My true value is I want them to express it and feel it and know that I have their back no matter where they are, because let's get this out. So you don't end up puking through your twenties or missing half your thirties because you're busy in therapy nonstop. And so I see a lot of that. And also when I'm in group situations, not group therapy, but just like a parent club or writing groups, 
I feel very comfortable being honest and just saying, saying what's true for me. It doesn't have to be long and elaborate or hostile or anything, but I really learned that in group. You can say a very simple thing like this. I feel sad about this. I'm not comfortable with this. I did not have those skills. Maybe some people learn them in their family or at school. I had none of that. I didn't even start training till group. And I was, when I was 27 and I had a bunch of bad habits I had to undo before I could replace it with just tell the truth, yeah. just say who you are and let the chips fall where they may. It's funny cause, cause I, I, do, I, I do presenting uh, and I, I might have to interview people about difficult situations in their lives sometimes, right? And it's, just, it's something that, I, it wasn't set out for me to learn to do it, but it's something I learned that if I did it, it made rapport building with them much easier. And what it was is if I gave them a big truth about myself, something real, and said, look, this is something in my life. Let me just tell you this. And you could see sometimes they'd be a bit taken back. It might be something like, I don't know, sorry, my daughter was sick last night. She has epilepsy um, and, you know, we, we were struggling with it. So I'm a bit tired. Apologies. Something as simple as that. But once you start giving truths, it's very, it's very powerful. It's a, there's, 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 um, it does something to, to how we interact with each other. But, but people are terrified of what might come out of their mouth if they start telling the truth sometimes. Isn't that it? I think you're exactly right. Nobody wants to go first. Nobody wants to say a vulnerable thing first. And I do feel comfortable because of my hours and hours of group therapy. I feel really comfortable saying I'm super bummed out because of X, Y, Z or or a lot of times I'm in situations where I'm uncomfortable socially. It looks like everyone around me is super posh. I'm not so posh. And I just, I'll just turn to someone and just say, oh my God, I feel so totally insecure. I wish I'd have worn something fancier. I wish I had more money, you know, like that's what I'm saying. And even if the person next to me is Midas, I think people appreciate, they understand, people know when you're vibrating on an authentic frequency and there's just no point. I've learned from group, there's no point in not speaking some of that. You don't have to say it all. You don't have to freak anybody out, but you could say something true. When I say something true about how I'm feeling in the moment, I have a chance of making a connection and I'm interested in making those kinds of connections. So I'm willing to go first. And you're, you're unburdened by secrets, right? Isn't that the power? Yeah. You know, you're taking that away from your, your consciousness or your, your, your dark corners. You're taking that away from that. So by, by not being burdened with secrets, it, it, it must have a very positive effect. Are you still in therapy? Do you still go to group therapy? Yes. I still, I still go, same group, Dr. Rosen, I went yesterday and I still go and people always want to know why, when are you going to graduate? And I totally understand the question. And here's my answer for myself for that. For right now, I appreciate and value deeply the scaffolding that group gives me. And I really love having a place where I can go and anything I need to say, I can say. And I have witnesses and I have people who I love there. The other half of it is I'm really attached. I'm attached to Dr. Rosen. And some people find it very odious. Like, aren't you dependent? I get letters from readers. Your therapist is exploiting you. He's taking your money. I get it. I, he has a lot of my money. And <laughs> I have a life 
that I really love. And I really love my group mates and I'm invested in their healing. And I think to myself, well, I could go and I'd free up all this time and space. But what I would miss is all those people are in the middle of their journeys. Like someone's getting a divorce. Someone's just got married. Someone's trying to have a baby. Like, I want to know what happens. I want my front row seat to their lives. And at the same time, I haven't stopped wanting things in my life. Like there's things I want professionally um, in my family, learning to navigate aging parents. Like I cannot imagine walking away from group and still doing hard things in my life. Like, why would I do that? As long as I have the resources and which is a huge luxury, as long as I have that, I want to make that investment. To me, it's like the gym. Mm -hmm. Like you don't just go to the gym when you feel like your muscles don't work, right? You go, I go all the time and I brush my teeth every day. That's how I look at mental health. And I know that's aberrant here no because 100 like like it's funny i went for therapy years ago i was giving up booze and alcohol and stuff like that and i and i went and saw a therapist for 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 over a year but he is i was moaning to someone before i started going oh well like it's cost a load of money and da, da, da. it's never bad money investing in something that's going to help with your development well it's better than spending it on cocoa pops and tequila or whatever else you're 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 surging through at the moment like if you're spending money on yourself that's good money right i agree with that completely like i'm a pro i don't drink coffee and people here go to starbucks twice a twice a day right if you go for twice a day you get your little drink that's as much as my therapy i'd rather go to therapy than have a drink personally of any kind so i do i look at it like investment and support and i feel like i owe it to my family my children, my husband, my life, that came about from the work I did in group. So it feels like, why would I kick all the support out from under me? That seems silly. Do we want the Sistine Chapel to fall down? Like, why would I do that? So. And Dr. Rosen and the group, they were okay being celebrities and and becoming quite famous under aliases. They were all right with that? Um. Well, so they <laughs> knew about it. I told my, the minute I started writing this, I told them and nobody took, anything very serious. I write a lot of things. They don't ever go, they don't all go anywhere. And Dr. Rosen was very, very supportive. He likes, I think he likes the limelight. He, he's odd and he likes attention. So that he was on board, but my group mates, various ones had had objections. They don't, you don't go to group therapy hoping someone will write a book about you yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. So there was one woman who told me, if you ever write about me, I will kill you. And I believe her <laughs> and I do not write about her. I love her. I'm not going to write about her. She has a very sensitive job. We're not doing that. So she's not in the book. And uh, uh, other people were mad that they weren't in it more. Like Christy, I helped you so much more than you said. <laughs> I'm like, really? And some people had just to hear to hear about the project. It sounds like I'm I'm an asshole. Like I've I've put other people's stuff in my book to sell a book. That's terrible. That is not what happens. First of all, everybody's deeply disguised, and I did not nothing about their personal journeys, their sexual proclivities, their fetishes, their marriages. It's not in the book. I I wanted to put it in there because they have great stories mm. and they're compelling people, but that's for their book. For my book, 
the only true issues are mine and I wrote what they gave to me yeah. in my journey. And so And it's brilliant. It's been a huge success. Like my God, wow. Like you must be that is not such a positive thing if, if if nothing else, just to come out of it, to be able to put that down on paper and for people to warm to it so much, you know? Yeah, I'm completely shocked. I had no idea I just had no idea what was coming and I feel I feel real to me it's a love letter to my group and I mean I don't mean just Dr. Rosen like Dr. Rosen's magnificent but none of the magic would have happened without the other people who sat in the circle with me did brave things like I wasn't the first person to have a temper tantrum by any means in group I knew I could because I saw other people let go and I saw them get better and I thought all right, well, I might as well let some of this rage out or despair. And I got better. That's what happened to me. And I wanted, I, as I was writing, I was thinking about myself, my 25-year-old my self. So before, before I ever got to group, and I thought there was no hope. And I was kind of dabbling in individual therapy, the one-on-one, -on -one, and nothing, the needle wasn't moving on my life at all. And I thought somewhere out there, maybe there's someone like me kind of some weird eating stuff, some achievement addiction and weird, just weird relationships. I want that person to know, not that they need to go to group, but that they may find their way and maybe it'll be a group and maybe it won't. But I just wanted to put this hope flare out for women and men like me. I mean, I mostly think of women readers because I'm a woman, but for anybody who's just in that despair, here's one story of a life that got turned around. It took a long time, but it did get turned around. That's a fact. Yeah, it's just the looking, isn't it? You've got to, you've got to get up and do something proactive to, to if something's not working or you know you're affected in a certain way. You've got to try something. You could have easily gone to group and it mightn't have worked that first night, you know, it, and you would have had to find something else. But and tell me now, are you one of those? Have, has anyone seen my husband? Are you one of those women now that, that you're running around <laughs> bragging? Has, have, have you seen my beautiful children? They were here a moment ago. It's because you're all settled now, right? Everything's golden. Well, oh, wow, that's so funny. You know, I think I spent so many years self-conscious about not having a partner and not having kids that it is anathema to me to to be like touting it because somewhere around within earshot there may be a woman who was like me who's dying of shame that she's alone or her marriage isn't what she wants it to be so I just sort of feel like I let the fire burn inside of my heart for the people like, like these children and this husband and and also I love them, but our relationships are intimate and real, which means sometimes they suck and it's miserable and it's hard. If you ever it's, feel it's low, you should come and meet my family. Then you'll you'll feel a lot <laughs> fucking better about your family. I trust me. Um, I I just I just think what you did was great. I think it's really really positive and uh, and honest and revealing and. It's funny, I, I, as you were talking the whole way through that, I was thinking about a 25-year-old you and how sad that was that someone with so much going for them was feeling like that. But you're, you're probably, you know, you're not the first and won't be the last. But I think what, what you've written is, is something really inspiring. I've loved chatting to you, Christy. It's been, um, it's been great. It's been really great. So look, thank you very, very much, yeah? Oh, thank you so much. This has been such a treat. And thank you for the insightful questions and the engagement with group and mental health conversations. This is how people get better. Like whoever hears this, they're going to 
they're going to know it's possible. So thanks for everything you do. Oh, thanks a million. Listen, take care of yourself, yeah? Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. She's a treat. That's what's a treat, I tell you. Um, again, for anyone who hasn't checked it out, uh, Christy Tate's book is called Group, uh, How One Therapist and a Circle of Strangers Saved My Life. Um, brilliant, brilliant read. Check it out. Okay. Now, let me scratch my beard and have a think. Okay. Uh, uh, like I say, I've done a group therapy and it helped me and people I know massively. Um I think at first the idea of being stranded or stuck in a room with a group of equally emotionally challenged people in search of uh, assistance or and reassurance and well look help uh, might seem off-putting or intimidating and just downright awkward uh, like who the fuck wants to share their story with strangers but sometimes you definitely don't want to share with people who you know because I suppose there's a, a level of uh, vulnerability you're exposed to, which is way too much for some people to handle. And um, you have to be a certain type of person to be able to do with that. And I can understand the appeal of talking with people who are strangers, like a great conversation you had with a taxi driver or a person who you sat next to once on a, on a long flight. There's a freedom in it. And let's be clear, group therapy is usually one or more psychologists leading a group of maybe five to 15 people. It can be it can be very hugely beneficial. In fact, I think people would be shocked and surprised at how rewarding an experience I found it. Um, I think for me, what's most important is to be in the right group and more importantly, at the right time. Like, when you're drowning in your emotional seas or having a, oh, a, a crisis. See what I did there? Fucking turn into wow. an M. Wow. But it is, if you're in the midst of a crisis, it's it's a bit too much. Do you know what I mean? Um, it mightn't be the best time to start group therapy when your needs are so big. And uh, from my, what I understood of it, um, group usually met like you know you might meet once a week or once a fortnight or sometimes some groups meet for twice a week for like 90 minutes it just depends but it's a sounding board it's like what's the best word it's like uh it gives you the opportunity to hear from other people uh about your story they get your perspective you get a a wider range of perspectives on your situation that can sometimes help you deal with your problems better. Am I making that, does that make sense? You know, like group can kind of kick you forward. Just even hearing how other members successfully overcame their, I don't know, fear of flying or grieving or cancer or it, it, anything that can motivate and inspire you. Um, and it helps ease that sense of isolation because feeling alone is the worst. And groups give you uh, an opportunity to kind of just practice in re-engaging re with people. Um, group therapy, one of the benefits I would see is it costs less than individual counseling. And some people believe that's because group therapy costs less because it's not as good. Well, that's horseshit. Um, whether you buy a presidential Rolex in New York with all your friends or you buy it in Dundrum Shopping Centre on your, on, on your own, it doesn't really matter. It's all golden. Do you know what I mean? Like it's all, it's all the same and therapy is the same. It's all gold, it's all golden, it's all healing. It's all about self-love and care. The main thing that I liked about group therapy more than anything else, 
is every person in the group kind of ends up holding a mirror and you get to see yourself sometimes through their eyes and it's a weird way of uncovering blind spots that may be blocking your ability to overcome what your issues are um that's what i found and what i will say to you is this anything talking to anybody is important and sometimes you might have close friends and talking to them is enough but sometimes it's not enough and sometimes there are things like money that comes into it or or you know the the one-on-one or maybe it seems too small a thing maybe you just want to sit in a room and you don't want to talk you just want to listen to what other people have to say it's it's what suits you but don't be scared of it because it can help and anything that helps you grow is all gravy baby listen um thank you for listening to the podcast uh you can like subscribe pass it on to your friends and you can catch me on all the usual social media platforms on uh at bashmaui on uh, instagram or at bazashmaui on twitter and we love hearing from you and i wish you all the best in the week ahead Uh, and as always listen good luck in the cup